I don't know about you, but I'm looking forward to flourish this year. So if you have a Bible, go to Ephesians chapter 3. This is the key text for today. Ephesians 3, we're going to start with verse 14. Woo! This is what Paul says. He says, when I think of all of this, and by the way, when he says all of this, he's talking about all of God's love, all of God's grace, all of God's mercy. He says, when I think about all of this, I fall to my knees and pray to the Father, the creator of everything in heaven and on earth. And I pray that from his glorious, unlimited resources, he will empower you. I don't know about you, but I want power this year. I want to be empowered by God. He says he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Now, if you're new to God and church, don't get weirded out. He's not talking about a ghost or Casper. He's talking about his Holy Spirit, and that's an actual part of who he is. And later on, we're going to talk all about the Holy Spirit this year. You're going to learn all types of good stuff from the Word of God about it. But Paul says, I want you to be empowered from the inside with God's Spirit. And that when he comes in you, that, that Christ is going to make his home in your hearts. Verse 17. That Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Your roots, everybody say, my roots will grow deep down into God's love and they will keep you strong. And, and I pray that you would have the power to understand as all God's people should. Now notice he says as people should, not as people do, but that they should understand how wide, how long, how high, how deep his love is. And may you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully, then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. This is going to be my best year yet. Say that with me. This is going to be my best year yet. All right, we're going to say a confession, a victory confession. And this is a confession that kind of just states that today God's going to do something great in me. And so we invite all those that are new to say this with us. The words are on the screen on the count of three. One, two, three. I'm here on purpose because I have a purpose. My heart is open. My mind is ready to receive because God is not finished with me yet. My best days are right in front of me and I have victory in my life because Jesus lives in me. You believe it, church? All right. Give three people a high five and say, flourish in 15, flourish in 15, flourish in 15. So we started a series this, this month called Ted's Plan, and I want to show you a little bit of who Ted is. Check out this video. This is Ted. Every year, Ted has plans. And just like all of us, Ted gets excited for those plans. But most of the time, they don't turn out exactly like he thought they would. But this year, things are about to change. Yes, things are about to change, and they've already been changing. Last week, we learned that Ted struggles with consistency. If you could see Ted's backyard, you would see a lot of projects that he started, but not too many projects that he finished. Ted's really good about starting each year right, but not really finishing each year right. He, he has problems with consistency. 
Commitment, sticking it through. And so we talked about what's it going to take for Ted to flourish in 2015 and, and, and have a great year. And so we, we came to this scripture. And last week, the scripture was Psalm 92, verse 12 through 14. And basically, the summary of that scripture is that those who are planted in the house of the Lord will flourish. They will bear fruit. Even in old age, they will stay fresh, they will stay green, and they will have much fruit to their lives. So Ted's plan won't work until he's what, church? Planted. Planted. Come on now. Ted's plan won't work until he's? And not just planted in anything, but planted in God's house, planted in God's Word. And so last week we passed out Bible reading plans to everybody here. And if you didn't get one, you can get one on your way out today. They're free. They're uh, just a Bible reading plan to learn the scriptures this year and get it in your life. Because we know that when we're in God's word, we are able to flourish. And Ted, he's on a good track now. He's in God's house. He's reading God's word. He's planted. And Ted's kind of, he's one of those guys that loves to work hard. I mean, when times get tough, Ted's not just, you know, going to sit back. He's going to work even harder. He's a great performer. And Ted, he, he performs so well that this year he's thinking, I'm going to perform so well at work, I'm expecting a big raise. I'm going to impress my boss so much this year by working hard. I'm, I'm going to stop being the guy who's bouncing around and never being consistent. I'm going to be a great performer. And that also is now translating into his relationship with God. He's kind of got this plan this year that he's going to outperform all the other Christians around him, that he's going to read the Bible more than them, he's going to fast more than them, he's going to show up to church more than any other Christian, he's going to listen to more sermons on podcasts and buy more DVDs and, and, and watch more Christian movies and just outperform all these people. And his thought is, I'm going to earn God's approval this year. I'm going to earn God's love. I am going to impress God. I'm going to get his attention so that he shows me more favor this year. And while we're listening to that, we're kind of like, that's kind of weird, but maybe that's a good plan. I don't know. But see, here's the thing. That plan is not a good plan. It's a plan that heads towards exhaustion. It's a plan that heads towards destruction. And Ted's convinced that he's got to earn God's love. He's got to perform to receive God's approval and his, his, his favor in his life. You know, there's a quote from A.W. Tozer, who's a great theologian, and he says this, The most important thing about you is how you view God and how you see yourself in light of that. The most important thing about you is how you view God and how you see yourself in light of that. Why, do, why would he say that? He would say that because all of us are in some way driven to perform for God. And all of us have these plans to want to impress God and do things for God. And, and how we see God is instead of seeing him as, as a good father or a loving friend to us, we see him as a boss. And that we're employed to work for God, to work to earn our wages. We've got to work to earn our favor. We've got to work to earn our love. And yet when you look in the Bible, it's totally different than that. And to be honest, Ted's plan is, is a lot like my life story. I lived for a while thinking that I had to earn God's love. There's a word that I want us to kind of learn today, and it's a word I made up. And you can make up a word as long as you define it. So here's the word. Performancism. Everybody say performancism. <laughs> performancism means um, that your identity, your worth, your acceptance, your approval is tied to your performance. That if you're performing well, 
you grow more valuable. You, you, you grow more worthy. You, you become more accepted by people. More people will like you if you perform well. If you perform bad, if you fail at things, you're less likable, you're less worthy, you're less valuable. And so performancism is all about your worth according to your performance. And, and that was me. I mean, to be honest, my parents, they told me they loved me, but I thought I had to behave well to earn their love. I thought that I had to like do certain things to, to earn their favor in my life. That, you know, if I started behaving bad, that they were going to stop loving me or they were going to stop, you know, feeding me <laughs> or, or taking care of me. That, that if I was, you know, not a good person, I would be unaccepted by them. And the truth is, some of that in our society actually exists. It exists in a, in, in not even just in our society, but even in the church. That we feel like we've got to perform well in order to be loved by God. And so when Paul says this in Ephesians 3.17, he says, I pray that you would be rooted, which means planted, in God's love. Immediately when I hear that, when you hear that, you might jump to the conclusion, okay, okay. So that means I've got to be planted in loving God and loving people, forgiving people and, 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 and always turning to God and not sinning and following the rule book. And by the way, when I read the Bible, I read the rule book because the Bible was the rule book for me. Tell me what to do and what not to do, God. But the truth is the Bible is not a rule book. It's a love story. It's a love story written in red. But I didn't get that. To be honest, I didn't get that till I got to college. And even then, I, I think today I'm still a recovering performancist, if that's a word. Like, I still have to overcome the feelings of the accusations that come from the enemy. And in fact, if we could look at Ted's life, and maybe Ted's standing out here today, and he plays this game that we used to play as kids, where we kind of say, yeah, God loves me, because I read my Bible today. He loves me. He loves me. All right? God loves me. Oh, whoops. God, yeah, here we go. God loves me not. He loves me not because, because I had a bad thought this week. He loves me not. God's for me this week because, because I prayed and went to church. He is for me this week. He's for me not because I got angry at a co-worker. I got angry at a friend. And, 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 and God loves me. He loves me not. And it's a roller coaster relationship with God. Every day we're up and down. We think we're loved by God. And the next day we think... God hates me. He, he wants to, he's just done with me, right? God has a plan for me this year because I showed up to church. God doesn't have a plan for me this year because I blew it at home. And we go back and forth. This game of conditional love with God. Ted feels like that his relationship with God is conditional based on his performance. Performancism. It's a road towards exhaustion. My plan this year and your plan this year cannot be fulfilled if we're planted in performancism. The only way that we're going to have a flourishing year this year is if we get planted in God's love for us. Paul says, I, I want you to be rooted and grounded in his love, not your love. In other words, I want you to know that God loves you. Not how much you love God, and people say these phrases like, man, I am really getting on fire for God because I am really loving him more and more and more. I am, man, my, I am so, oh, I'm closer to God because I'm doing so much more for God. 
What draws us closer to God is not us doing works for Him. It's His love becoming more real in us. What, what draws me more on fire for God is getting a greater revelation that He loves me. He loves me. Before I even preach a sermon, He loves me. When I preach a bad sermon, and I've preached some bad ones, He still loves me. When I preach a sermon that you love, He still loves me the same as when I preach a sermon that you hate. Because my worthiness, my value is not tied to what you think about me. It's tied to what He thinks about me. My value and my worthiness is not tied to how well I perform up here or how well I perform at home, or how well I perform in the office, in meetings, and in, in leading board meetings, or whatever kind of meetings that I'm in. My value, my worth is connected to what he says about me. And so Ted needs to come back to, what does God say about Ted? There's a verse in Romans, Romans chapter 12, verse 2. And this is the verse. It says, don't be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. In order for Ted to have a flourishing year, he's going to have to have a mind renewal. Because getting the love of God first starts with renewing your mind. Starts with changing the thoughts that you've been rehearsing. And the words that you've been listening to in your mind of saying, you're not good enough. You're not good enough. You better perform. He loves you today. Oh, he hates you today. He's for you today. Oh, he's against you today. You've got to start renewing your mind to what does God's word say about me? What happens when we get rooted and planted in God's love? I want to give you three things that happens when we get rooted and planted in God's love. Number one, we start to know who we really are. When you're planted in God's love, you know who you really are. You will never rise above the image you have of yourself in your own mind. As long as you think I'm unworthy, I'm unacceptable, I'm ugly, I'm not pretty, I'm not important, I'm not special, I'm just, I'm a nobody. As long as you think that, you're going to live like that. And so God's love invites us to see us through his eyes instead of the eyes of the world. Right, God's love invites us to see me and you see you through his eyes. How does God see us? The most important thing about you is how you view God and how you see yourself in light of that. How does God see you? The Bible says that God made us in his image. The Bible says that God sees us as his beloved, his chosen children. Did you know you were chosen by God before the foundations of the earth? Did you know that God formed you even while you were in your mother's womb? That he saw you and he made you fearfully and wonderfully made? You are important to God no matter how well you perform at work this week. You are loved by God no matter how many things you mess up this week at home. Or how many times you sin. And, and, and one of the things that kind of shifts our identity is the scale. Over here, I've got this scale, and here's kind of what happens for me, and, and I don't know if this happens for you, but there's some weeks, some days where I just, uh, something wrong happens, right? And, and, and when something wrong happens, it goes into the sin part of the scale. 
And so my righteousness is kind of, it's, it's, you know, it's not doing good this week, so I've got to do something good. I've got to go to church, read my Bible, pray. Oh, good. <laughs> Thank you, God. I'm back on the righteousness now. Oh, snap. I had a bad thought. Now I'm back in sin again. I did something wrong. I said something I shouldn't have said. And so the scale determines who I am, right? Because one week I'm sinful, or one day I'm sinful, one day I'm righteous, right? I watch a Christian movie, so I get back on the scale. <laughs> I pay, I give God my tithes and offerings. There you go, God. I'm giving you, I'm paying you. And, and, and so we do things, we do religious duties to try and work our righteousness. You know what God says about your righteousness, my righteousness? He says, hey, hey, your righteousness is as filthy rags. Thanks a lot, God. I'm working hard over here. God says, yeah, yeah. You, like, going to church, reading your Bible, praying to try and be righteous, it's nothing. Because that doesn't make you righteous. Because the truth is, no matter how many good deeds you do, you are truly sinful in your own strength. You will never be righteous enough on your own. And so Paul, in the Bible, screams out, God, I do the things that I wish I didn't do. I want to be good. I want to be pure. I want to think right and speak right and love people. But I just mess up. What a wretched man I am. Who will save me from my sinfulness? And this is where God shows up. And he gives you a big bag of grace that trumps all your mistakes, all your performance, all your failure. And you might need to get a bag of grace after this church. I got some bags in the back. I will hook you up. But some of us, we are living on the scale. And we don't realize that his grace comes in and says, hey, 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 you can't do it in your own strength. You can't find your identity and your value and your worth and your good deeds. You can only find it in my grace. When you are weak, I am strong. In your weakness, my strength is made perfect. My grace is sufficient for you. And if this sounds weird because you haven't read the Bible lately or haven't ever been to church, this is the gospel. The gospel is not how much you did for God to earn your salvation. The gospel is how much Jesus already has done for you. He doesn't have to go back to the cross. He did it once and for all. 2,000 years ago, he paid the debt for your sin, for your identity to be in Christ Jesus. When I'm planted in the love of God, my identity is unshakable. As long as I'm planted in performancism, I'm constantly wondering, am I good, am I bad? Am I, am, I, am I worthy or am I not worthy? Am I valuable or am I not valuable? Am I special or am I a failure? There was a, a singer-songwriter in the 90s. Some of y'all might remember his name, Rich Mullins. He, he wrote songs for Amy Grant, and one of his famous songs was Our God is an Awesome God. How many of y'all remember Rich Mullins? Well, I love Rich, his, his songs, Our God is an Awesome God. But this last week, Ashley and I had a movie night, and we were trying to find a movie to, to watch. And we came across this movie about Rich Mullins called The Ragamuffin Gospel. And so we were like, okay, let's, let's give it a try. Let's, let's watch it. And... As we were watching the movie, 
It wasn't like a happy movie where you run out singing songs and dancing. It was a very gripping movie, like sad. Because here Rich Mullins was singing these songs on the stage, talking about the love of God, preaching to people about God's love. But then he would go home and drink himself to sleep. He would smoke cigarette after cigarette after cigarette and then get drunk and drunk even after doing worship concerts every night. And he struggled to feel loved by God. And some people would look at the fruit and they'd say, oh, he's got fruit issues. But fruit issues are actually root issues. Because when your roots aren't in the right soil, you will always produce the wrong fruit. Rich had his roots in performanceism. He had his roots in, God, I just, I just am trying to win your love. I'm going to write another song. I'm going to try to preach more. I'll try to go on more mission trips. I'm going to serve more because I just need to earn your love. I need to earn your, your favor, your kindness. And, and his identity was constantly wrapped in his music. And he struggled. He struggled to really feel God's love. To be honest, his, his biggest thing wasn't really performanceism. It was just he had a wound in his heart. His dad never told him that he loved him. His dad never told him he was proud of him. And so he had this father wound. And when he heard scriptures in the Bible that God is a good father, a loving father, God is our father, that he's the father to the fatherless, Rich just couldn't cope with that. Because in his mind, he didn't know what a real father looked like. And what was really sad was his real father... He wanted to say that he loved him. He just didn't know how because his real father had a dad in his life that also never told him he loved him. And so there was this generational environment that Rich grew up in where they didn't know how to express love. And it drove Rich to a, 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 a focus of trying to find his identity and what others thought about him, what they said about him, what they said about his music. And honestly, even in a home in my life, where I did hear the words, I love you, Paul, I still struggled to actually believe that I was loved beyond my performance. I thought, man, I've got to perform well in basketball. I've got to get good grades in school. I've got to do well in college. I can't let down the Doherty name. I can't mess up the Doherty name. If I do that, man, I won't be loved. And, and, and it's not like my parents ever said that. It's just it was in my mind. It was this performanceism mentality. I've got I've to get saved every week. I lost my salvation this week. I've got to go back to the altar and get my salvation back. You know, I, man, my sin scale was, was completely messed up. I was defining my identity, my value, and worth based on that. And, and, and it was exhausting. It is exhausting trying to perform for God. And God invites us all to say, hey, wait a minute. You don't define how valuable you are. A diamond can't make itself any more valuable than it already is. It's a diamond. It was born valuable. You are a diamond. You were born a diamond. You can't make yourself any more or any less valuable than you already are. God loved you before you got saved. Romans 5 verse 8 says, He loved you even while you were still a filthy sinner. And He loves you all through it. So when we get planted in God's love, all of a sudden our identity starts to become less in what we do, less in what others say about us, and more in what God says about us, that I am loved. Just say that with me. I am loved. I am accepted. I am forgiven. I am righteous because of Jesus. 
Number two, when you're planted in God's love, you are able to truly rest in him. You are able to truly rest in him. There's a story in Luke chapter 10 about two ladies, Mary and Martha. Mary in this story is at the feet of Jesus. She's listening to Jesus. She's just receiving his love. She's having a great time. Martha, on the other hand, is in the kitchen. And she is working hard to prepare things for Jesus. She is trying to, you know, serve and get things ready. And she's working. And she comes into the room where Jesus is talking to Mary. And they're just having this awesome moment and conversation. And she says, Jesus, tell Mary to start working. Get Mary in the kitchen. We got to work for you. And Jesus says, Martha, Martha, Martha. Mary has found that which is most important. It's not your performance. Mary has found the freedom to rest in my love. So many people in the world and in the church today feel like they can't rest. Uh, let me invite our short-term missions director, Jason Newsbaum, up here. Je give Jason a big hand. A great guy. Jason, come on over on the treadmill. We got a treadmill up here on stage. And... Um, and I saw someone else do this, and it kind of it, it struck a chord in my heart because I realized I've been there before. I've, I've, I've actually felt this way. I don't know if you ever go to the gym to work out or get on a treadmill at home, but I, I've gone to the gym before to get on the treadmill, and I'm doing my walk, my run, and I'm going at my pace. And all of a sudden, like, I look across the weight room, and somebody's jogging while I'm walking. And so I'm like, oh, i gotta, I got to speed up that, that treadmill. i got to... Oh, and then you look to the left, and someone's running even faster, and so you start speeding that up, and oh, and then, and then you see them on there for 20 minutes, and you were only going to go for 10 minutes, but now you're thinking, I can't get off until they get off, I got, or else I'm not performing well, I got to be on here all day, or else I'm not that important, or worthy, or I can't even take a break, I can't take a break, I'm performing, I'm performing, stop, give Jason a big hand. Oftentimes, we live our Christian walk like Jason on the treadmill. We think we can't take a rest or a break because somehow we're going to let God down. Somehow, our performance is going to stop his favor in our life. If we're not performing enough, if we're not doing enough for God, working hard enough, somehow our value is going down. You know, this last week, I, I, I took a break. First time since the transition, I took three days off to go skiing, and I had a good time. You don't have to be happy for me, but if you are, I'll be happy for you in your vacation. No, I'll be happy no matter what. But you know, I went, and, and I had this like justification in my mind, like, okay, I've, I've been working hard enough. I can finally take some days off. While people were having fun at Christmas break, I was working hard. And I told you I'm a recovering performancist, so don't like take that as, <laughs> anyways, that's just me. All right, I'm, I'm, I'm getting better at realizing that following Jesus is not meant to be a performance. It's meant to be a walk of grace, a pace of grace. And he invites us. He says in Matthew chapter 10, hey, are you burned out? Are you weary? Are you exhausted just performing? Come and find rest for your souls. Those are the words of Jesus. There's a story about a coach that is now in the national championship tomorrow night, Ohio State's coach, Urban Meyer. 
And, uh, oh, we got some Ohio State fans over here. Any Oregon fans in the house? Okay. No. All right, a few. Urban Meyer is the head coach of Ohio State, and he lived his life a lot like this, conditional relationship with his dad. He loves me. I lost the game. He loves me not. And Urban Meyer played baseball in college. He called home his sophomore year, and he was just exhausted. He said, man, I just, I, I don't even have a desire to play baseball. I just want to, I want to be a coach. I want to study other things. I want to do other things. And his dad said, Urban, if you don't perform well this year in baseball and finish the season, don't ever come home again. Just call your mom at Christmas time and tell you love her, but I don't want to see you here again because I don't raise losers. Urban finished the season, but he lived the rest of his life with a conditional relationship with his dad. If he performed well, his dad was applauding. Man, if he lost a game and messed up, his dad was turning his back, didn't even want to see him. And it was constant. And it flowed into everything. And I, I read this in a book this last week. So in this book, it alluded to the fact that Urban became a Christian and, and, and knew God. But that he struggled. His biggest problem was that he thought he could not take a break. He could not rest. This performancism mentality. It drove a wedge between him and his wife, him and his kids, his family. He had this murmuring in his soul. You're not good enough, Urban. You're not good enough. He said, even when I won national championships in Florida, I still felt insufficient in my soul. I had the ring that every coach dreamed of getting, winning a national championship. And yet I still felt not good enough, not good enough. See, here's, here's the problem with a lot of Christians. They go into a new year with all these resolutions. And yet they're planted in their performance. And so even when you win the resolutions and you get to the end of the year, you still have this feeling, I'm not good enough. Maybe next year I'll be good enough. Maybe in 2016 I'll finally be good enough. If I just get some things right, I will be good enough. And here's what happened to Urban. It's an incredible story that after he left Florida, after his second national championship, he had this moment where he was with a mentor and the mentor was just talking to him because he could tell Urban was disturbed in his soul. He said, Urban, what's, what's this drive in you to feel like you always have to win to be valuable? You always have to win to be important. What is this? Where is it coming from? And Urban recalled back in his mind the moment with his dad in college. He said, I feel like I've lived my whole life not good enough. And the mentor was able to help him overcome and recover from this performancism mentality. So when he moved to Ohio State to be a coach, Urban had a breakthrough in his family. He told his wife and his kids, he said, hey guys, no more the Urban that you guys have been used to. There's a new Urban in town. This over here called football, this does not define my worth. Winning this game does not make me who I am or important or more valuable. Performing well in this career does not make me special. I am valuable outside of this career. I am important outside of this career. And so I'm going to set some boundaries. And where you used to hardly ever see me, I'm going to be home more. I'm going to talk to my wife more. I'm going to love on my kids more. And praise God, Urban had a breakthrough. But here's the point of the story. You need to have a breakthrough. You need to have a breakthrough that that career... 
getting that GPA at school, getting those grades. That's not what makes you important, daughters. Right? Getting married, ladies, that's not what makes you valuable. Having children. Dads, getting a certain salary, living in a certain neighborhood, owning a certain car, uh, uh, working at a certain company, getting to a certain place in your finances. That's not what makes you good enough. You are already 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 good enough. And from a recovering performancist to another recovering performancist, it's time that we stop living under the pressure to feel like if we can't take a break, right? If I can't get off the treadmill, if I, if I get off that treadmill, things are going to stop. You know what the accuser of the brethren comes? And by the way, the Bible talks about the devil being the accuser of the brethren, which means he's the accuser of church people, the accuser of believers, of Christians. The devil will come in and whisper these lies like, God's mad at you. Mm, he's got a baseball bat. And he wants to hit you for that mistake. God's not going to show you any favor now that you had a bad thought. God's not going to help your marriage because you messed up. God's finished with you. He used to have a plan for you, but he erased it. He no longer has a plan for you. The devil will whisper these stupid lies. And we've got to get bold enough to tell the devil to shut up. <laughs> to say, hey, Satan, your accusations ain't working anymore. Because I've found the map. I've found the plan, and it doesn't change based on my performance. I'm not planted in my performance. I'm planted in God's love. Paul says, I wish you could just experience. In other words, don't just read about it. Experience it for yourself. Man, I heard a lot of sermons about God's love. And I read a lot of words about God's love. But it wasn't until a moment in my life where I, I really felt like spiritually I had hit rock bottom that God said, hey, Paul, I loved you before you hit rock bottom. I love you at rock bottom. I'm going to pull you out of rock bottom because your works aren't good enough to pull you out. It is only by my love that you can produce the fruit that's lasting, that's foundationally secure, that doesn't just fade out and burn out when you get exhausted. And here's the third point. When you're planted in God's love, you produce lasting fruit. You produce holiness. And it's not through your works. It's the empowerment that comes from God's love and His Holy Spirit. That when you are planted in the soil, when a plant is in soil, here's what the plant does. The roots go down into the soil and it sucks the nutrients from that ground into the vine, into the part of the plant. And the leaves and the fruit begin to grow because it's rooted. It's not fruit issues, it's root issues. Because the roots produce the fruit. When you are rooted in God's love, the fruit that starts to come out, you start to have more patience with people. You start being able to know who you are. There's more confidence because perfect love cast out all fear. You're not worried about finances. You see the gas prices dropping and you know something's wrong with our economy right now. Something's going on in the news. You're seeing terrorist reports. You're seeing things in politics that just freak you out. But, 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 but when you are planted in the love of the Father, perfect love drives out all fear. Fear about the future. Fear about your reputation. Fear about getting it right or fear about getting it wrong. Fear about importance, insecurity, about value. All of a sudden you get secure. Secure. I 
God's child. He loves me. Someone asked Carl Barth, who's one of the greatest theologians of our time. They said, Carl, what's the most theological, deep uh, uh, exegesis, eisegesis, eschatological thing you've ever studied? Tell us. And Carl's kind of like, whoa. What's the most profound thing you've ever studied in the Bible? Carl said this. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. No, 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 Carl, come on, don't be elementary with us. What's the most profound thing you've ever studied? We want to chew on something deep this week at church. What's the most profound thing? Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. But Carl, well, you're not on the treadmill. You got to be performing well in order for him to love you. You got to, I mean, you got to be working hard. You can't take a break from the church and accept, expect God to love you. I mean, that's where his love comes from. Yes, Jesus loves me. You can take a vacation and still be loved by God. You can rest a Sabbath each week and still be loved. You could perform well and not perform too well at all at work. And he loves you just as much before as he loves you after you perform. Because his love is not performance-based. Oh, he loves us. Let that sink deep into your soul this week. Yes, Jesus loves me. There's certain weeks where, man, I am just freaking out in my mind about my worth and value. Because I'm a recovering performance. I have to remind myself, no, 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 wait, this doesn't define me. Like during sermons that I'm preaching that I know aren't really that awesome. Because preachers know in the middle of the sermon when it's not going good. <laughs> I'll have these moments where I'm like, this is not good. People's faces are just like totally bored out of their minds right now. And I'll be watching people get up from their chairs leaving. I'm like, oh God, I'm not valuable. Right? People walk out. And I think they're walking out because of my preaching. And sometimes they're walking out because their baby's crying or they got to use the bathroom or they just got to go. There's an emergency. Don't worry. If you walk out next service or whenever, I'm not going to think that. I'm having a renewal in my mind because God's saying, hey, Paul, 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 they don't define your worth. Like if, 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 if. And to all my friends here today, you are all my friends. To everyone watching online, your career and how well you do in it does not define how important, how valuable and worthy you are. I used to think I had to be just like my dad. And I still have to renew my mind. No, Paul, you can be you. You are free to be you. You don't have to wear all the suits and stuff. You could just come in t-shirts and sandals. Some of y'all are like, I don't know about that. <laughs> because here's what happens is, 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 you know, to be honest, I'm really, really honest. There's a part of me and probably a part of Tulsa that just needs to come out of religion. Needs to come out of legalism. Needs to come out of self-righteousness and self-saving projects. Like somehow I'm going to save myself if I do more for God. And God says, wait a minute, you didn't save you. I saved you. Philippians chapter 1, Paul says, he who began this work in you. Who began it? Who started the work? And then he says, he who started will be faithful to finish. Who finishes the work? So he starts, so, so God's got us right here. Let's not this year try to do this on our own. Let's let him who started this work in us be the one to finish this work in us. Let's let him, I want you to stand to your feet all over this room. Let's let the love of God 
be our motivation. How much he loves me, it produces the holiness, the purity, the righteousness, the right living, the right thinking, the right speaking. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. The Bible tells me so. With every head bowed and every eye closed, you're here today. 